like I Hold your head up high Till you find the bluebird of happiness You will find greater peace of mind Knowing there's a bluebird of happiness And when he sings to you Welcome back to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In each episode of this podcast, I look at one of the works of Philip K. Dick. And in this episode, we'll be concluding our look at Martian Time Slip. So if you're reading along, this episode will cover chapters 13, 14, 15, and then 16, bringing us to the end of, of this novel. So if you're just joining us, uh, what has happened in this novel is... Essentially, it, it revolves around two characters, uh, Arnie Cott, who is the head of the Waters Workers Union on Mars and one of the most important f- people on Mars, the richest and one of the most powerful, and Jack Bolin, a repairman who works for a small repair company, uh, Mr. Yees. These two people first cross paths when they run into a group of bleakmen who are the indigenous native people of of Mars. They're in need of trouble. Arnie Cott, who doesn't think much of the Bleakmen and often makes racist statements towards them, is annoyed that he has to do this under the law. Jack Bolin, although, does help them. And in exchange for helping them, he's given a mummified uh, figure who's called the Water Witch, which the Bleakmen use to pray for water. Now, another another family that's involved in this story is is the Steiners. Now, Norbert Steiner kills himself in the early pages of the novel, facing depression over the fact that his son may be euthanized under new UN regulations because his son is autistic. He also feels a failure at his job, so he kills himself. This leaves the future of his son, Manfred Steiner, a severe autistic, in in flux. Now, Dr. Glob, uh, Steiner's, Manfred Steiner's doctor and the head of a camp that takes care of the autistic kids and the other kids with mental illnesses or developmental disabilities thinks that autism is caused by someone being a bit out of time or a bit shifted out of time. And he thinks that this is actually a path to properly treating these, these autistic children. Arnie Cott believes he can use Manfred Steiner and his autism in order to predict the future and see the future of a particular area of land on Mars called the FDR Mountains. And he wants to use Manfred's ability to basically see into the future and then get engaged in land speculation. Now, at the same time, Jack Boland's father, Leo, arrives with news that the UN is going to use the use this area of the FDR Martins as a, as a massive housing complex. Eventually, Jack gets hired by Arnie to build a device that will be that will allow him to use Manfred Steiner's kind of time shift to his advantage. They uh, Jack ends up taking Manfred Steiner around to takes him to a public school for a while, takes him to the FDR Mountain Range, takes him other places. And as he takes him to these places, he starts to experience strange events. He starts to live the life as Manfred Steiner sees it. Manfred draws a a picture of what the future of the FDR mountain range will be like and shows that in the future it will be just a degraded slum. Manfred also appears to live his life or much of his experiences is living out his future life in a degraded slum as an old man. Uh, 
Jack finds out over time, realizes that Manfred experiences basically everything in its degraded, old age, rotten, disgusting, declining form. This doesn't make him particularly useful for Arnie's original plan to basically predict the future, use him as a precog, because he only sees the dark, bleak future. He doesn't see the possible future. Now, in this vision of the frontier, we have we have competing visions of the frontier. One, Manfred Steiner's view, which sees it as the ultimate result of the frontier is going to be degraded, boring slums and suburbs and and that kind of what California ended up becoming in Philip Kiddick's own view. But then you have other characters still uh, hold on to the belief that the frontier is a source of optimism, a source of a great future for humanity. So much of this novel is a conflict between these two visions of, of the frontier. Now, during one day when, while Jack is hanging out with Manfred Steiner, he actually experiences that evening, a meeting between him and Arnie, Arnie's mistress, Doreen, who's also starting an affair with, with Jack and Manfred. He experiences this three different times, each in a more surreal and absurd experience. The fourth time he experiences it when it really happens and he realizes that Manfred is able to, to live this future. And he's able to experience these futures through his proximity to, to Manfred. So all this stuff is going on, and it's quite—it's not a fairly complicated plot, but there is a lot of subplots intertwining with with that, that, and some of them I didn't even talk about in this brief introduction. That's why I really have to urge you to go back and either read along or listen to the previous episodes in which I explain what happens in the first twelve chapters of of Martian Time Slim. Because now it's time to go into the final few chapters and see how this novel ends and how all the plot lines that we have here connect. If there's things I miss talking about, I'll, I'll try to get you up to speed when I approach them in the, as I go do the play-by-play -play of the final four chapters of Martian Time Slip. Okay, chapter 13. So chapter 13 begins with a man named Otto Zitte. Otto was the co-worker of Norbert Steiner, and they, they worked at basically importing black market health food goods. It's the reason the stuff was black market is because UN policy towards Mars was self-sufficiency. So people who imported things were, it was a bit illegal. Otto decided to continue this job, but he has a little individual take on it in that he really enjoys seducing desperate housewives in these kind of Martian suburbs. And so and sometimes he doesn't take money for his services. Instead, basically works on seducing these women. And he's just gone to Sylvia Boland's house. Now, Sylvia Boland has herself been thinking about having an affair, especially after talking to her neighbor, a woman named June Hennessy. And he goes, does his delivery, he goes to Sylvia Boland's house, and they have various conversations. And like so many other characters in the novel, they have a conversation about the meaning of the frontier, the meaning of what Mars is going to be for the future. And here's what he says to, to Sylvia. He says, it's much different here, a newer, freer life, where one can cast off the shackles and be oneself. Do you agree? The old mores and customs, an antiquated old world, best forgotten in its own dust. Here? Here we see the clash of an extraordinary, the pulse, Mrs. Boland of opportunity, which strikes the brave person only once, once in a lifetime. And then they go on to talk about the goods that he's he's providing. So they end up having this conversation, and this is going to lead to a sexual experience between Sylvia and Otto. Just a one-time deal. It's not going to be a full-blown affair, but Sylvia does uh, begin to stray from her husband at the same time that Jack, her husband, is having an affair with with Doreen, who is 
Ornicott's mistress. So this is a marriage that that is fractured during the course of this events. Now, it, the fate of this marriage is, of course, going to be something that Dick resolves by, by the end of the novel. After this brief introduction in the chapter where we, we meet up with Otto and Sylvia, then we return to Jack. Jack has just come off of his this party, this late night meeting with Arnie, uh, the one he lived several times before through Manfred's abilities. And now he's trying to recreate what happened. So he's got the kind of the psychedelic aspects of the meeting, thanks to Manfred being there. There was also a lot of alcohol at the meeting, and he lived it a few times before. So he's a bit confused about what happened. In fact, when we re are introduced to Jack Boland, the first line we get is, what is insanity? It was for him the fact that somewhere he had lost Manfred Steiner and did not remember how or where. He remembered almost nothing of the night before at Arnicott's place. Piece by piece from what Doreen told him, he had managed to patch together an image of what had taken place. Insanity, to have to construct a picture of one's own life by making inquiries of others, end quote. Um, so, you know, the inability of individuals to reconstruct their own history, I think is a fascinating idea. And it's something that certainly readers of Philip Dick must be interested in because you see a lot of characters in the novels who just have difficulty even putting together what happened in their own life, much less kind of an objective universal history that we can agree upon. All right. You know, memory is so faulty and problematic. And that's something that really Dick relished in thinking about. But Doreen did help him uh, help him reconstruct more or less what what happened. He learns that Manfred ended up staying with Arnie and Jack talks about the dangerous the dangers of Manfred to other people. And he, he's got all this, the whole couple days experiences with Manfred that convinced him that Manfred is very much someone to be uh, considered very, very dangerous thanks to his abilities and the way he perceives life and the way he's able to project those beliefs onto, onto other people. Um, now into this, in this chapter, we also see Jack and Doreen essentially settling into their affair and, and, and kind of committing to each other to a degree. So then we get a then Arnie, this is the day after that that bizarre party or that bizarre meeting between Doreen and Jack and Arnie and Manfred, that Arnie gets a call from Glob. Now Glob's been really annoying to Arnie in the past couple of days, partially because Glob is very upset that Arnie didn't give him a job and he wants to kind of get back at him. And he's been been trying to use various pawns he has like he tries to use jack for a while to get at arnie he tries to use the, his most powerful tool is the fact that he has under his control arnie's own son who is at camp bg um, and glob is threatening to release him to the general public schools claiming he just has essentially a low iq that he's not actually mentally ill oh sorry my, my notes are missed miss up here that's going on certainly but the call here that glob makes is to Anne. Anne is arnie's ex-wife and he basically, at this point, wants Anne to intervene, and he recruits Anne into helping him basically stop whatever Arnie's trying to do with Jack and Manfred. Now, certainly he's got personal motives here, but he seems well-meaning, and he does think he, Jack Boland is in a dangerous place. He tells Anne, Jack Boland could become permanently psychotic as a result of Cott's desire for revenge. And I ask you, Mr. Esther Hazy. Basically, he asked her for help. And, and Anne sees Mr. Glob, Dr. Glob, as a mixture of idealism and kind of envy. And that he's, although a very educated person, he's kind of conflicted with these essentially very childish um, emotions. 
Now, one way that Arnie plans to get back at Jack and what, what, what he's mad at Jack about is really tied down to the fact that the whole scheme is about him getting a leg up on the land speculation at the FDR mountains. And he learns that, that Jack's father is involved in the real estate scheme himself and that he has inside information on what the UN plans and that Jack perhaps is delaying installing his, his work with Manfred in order to let his father get in on the land speculation deal. So one way he's going to try to get back at Jack is to buy Jack's contract, his employment contract from, from Yi, his employer. Up to this point, he's just been leasing Jack, essentially renting him, subcontracting him out. Or Arne, Lee kind of, Yi subcontracted him out to Arnie. Now Arnie says, I want to buy the contract. And Yi at first is coy, but eventually it comes down to a negotiation to a price who can pay the most. And, and eventually Yi does buy Jack's contract. Now it's going to be at this point in the story. It's going to be Helio Glabius who breaks through with Manfred, and this is actually foreshadowed earlier in the story, in which Jack suggests that maybe Manfred, because of his autism, will do better among the Bleakmen because the Bleakmen kind of live a more casual, relaxed life. They they kind of have a slower life. They're they're not so high strung, and and they seem to almost exist on a different time scale than than humans do. Um, this it becomes proven that this is more or less what's happening when Helio starts to make contact with, with Manfred. Now, Helio is the trained bleakman of Arnie Cott, someone who's been kind of disregarded for much of the story. Arnie certainly tr doesn't really think much of him. He doesn't think of bleakman at all, often insults him and makes fun of him and makes fun of his people. Um, but it's actually Helio who's able to reach him and through this conversation between Helio and Arnie, we learn quite a lot about the future of the frontier, uh, about Manfred, and about how this plot is going to be, be resolved. And Helio is able to explain to Arnie pretty much everything he needs to know about Manfred. Quote, this boy experiences his own old age, his lying in a dilapidated state decades from now in an old person's home, which is yet to be built here on Mars, a place of decay which he loathes behind expression. In this future place, he passes weary, empty years bedridden, an object, not a person, kept alive through stupid legalities. When he tries to fix his eyes on the present, he is almost at once smitten by the dread vision of himself once again. Tell me about the old people's home, Arnie said. It is to be built soon, Helio said, not for, the perp that for, not for that purpose, but as a vast dormitory for immigrants to Mars. Yeah, Arnie said, recognize it, in the FDR range. The people arrive, Helio said, and settle and live and drive the wild beakmen from their last refuge. In turn, the bleakmen put a curse on the land, sterile as it is. The earth settlers fail, their buildings deteriorate year after year. Settlers return to earth faster than they came here. At last, this other use is made of the building. It becomes a home for the aged, the poor, the senile, and the infirm. End quote. So the future that Manfred experiences and Helio is able to see through Manfred is that Mars becomes essentially Florida or like the Tampa or whatever, wherever the old people go, right? To, to say it's no longer this optimistic frontier for the youth, for the future, which is what we've been sold and what humans have been sold on for much of the story. In fact, a lot of the people who we got a lot of youth in the story, all our characters are fairly young. Um, they have a lot of their life ahead of them. They're plan making long-term plans for themselves. But it's not just Manfred who's going to be an old person there. It's basically where Earth ends up dumping its old, its decrepit, its aged. No longer will the frontier be a place of rebirth. It will be a place of decay and death and 
stagnation. And so that's the future of the frontier we're finally given, um, clearly stated by, by Helio. So it's an important moment in the story. Now, another subplot uh, essentially gets resolved around here. Um, now, Arnie called his basically stooge, a man named Scott, asking him to find someone else to replace Norbert Steiner when he lost the connection to these black market goods. When Norbert Steiner killed himself, he needed a new one. And eventually Scott tracks down Otto, Otto Zitte, who's kind of taken over the business of Norbert Steiner. And he's found that he's been um, selling this goods. And for whatever reason, Arnie doesn't like that he's doing this on his own. He's kind of freelancing it. So he basically orders Scott to do some kind of good old-fashioned union kind of intimidation. And so the, what they decide to do is basically destroy his products while he's off on a sales call. And actually, he's out having sex with Sylvia Bolin when this happens. But, you know, go down, destroy his stuff, burn down his supplies in his truck. And then write a note saying, Arnie Cott doesn't like what you stand for. And that's supposed to be the intimidation. That's supposed to get him out of that uh, that that field of selling these goods, these health food goods, health, health food goods. So after this little distraction, um, it's actually an important plot point later on, but it's, it's kind of in the story. It's just at this point, just a distraction. He goes back to talk to Helio and he decides that he wants to use Manfred's ability to time shift as a straight up time travel device in order to not not just try to predict the future for land speculation deals, because in fact, it's already too late. Leo's already made claims to the FDR mountain lands. He actually wants to then go back in time to buy the to buy the land before anyone else gets a hold of it. And then in the final moments of chapter 13, Jack finds out that he now is Arnie Cott's permanent employee, that his contract has been sold to, to Yi, uh, from Yi to, to Arnie. In a sense, Jack realizes at this point that he's essentially just a, a serf of, of, of his employers. So that's chapter 13. Um, in chapter 14, we pick up again with Otto Zitte. He's just finished having sex with Sylvia Bolin after seducing her. And she... Sylvia resents this, this sexual encounter. She starts to yell at him, and she obviously feels very guilty and upset about having taken the step to, to have this affair. So she doesn't really, she's just angry and she just wants him out. But then when he leaves, and he, you know, Otto doesn't care, he got what he wants, so he just leaves. His immediate, her immediate reaction then is to really start to feel very, very lonely again. So the message here seems to be that the this kind of very shallow, casual affair doesn't really provide anything meaningful. The previous conversation we had about these affairs, Sylvia had with her neighbor, June Hennessy, who was having a lot of these affairs, and she was kind of selling it as something that's kind of positive. It can help the marriage. It's good for everyone kind of thing. And Sylvia doesn't have that share that experience. But meanwhile, her husband is actually developing a fairly meaningful relationship with, with Doreen. So I think there's different examples of affairs being played with in in this novel um but anyway so that's that's what happens with sylvia and then otto walks off and goes back to his basically his supplies and he finds that his supplies have been destroyed his business has been sabotaged and he also finds this note from arnie cott this or this note from scott but it says arnie cott doesn't like what you stand for 
when he sees this, he immediately decides that he has to kill Arnicott and for revenge. He doesn't even fully understand why. The motivation isn't entirely clear why Arnicott would pick on such like a, a small businessman. So then back to Manfred and Arnicott and, and Helio. Helio basically says, yeah, this is possible. We could probably use Manfred for time travel, but you're going to have to really go to a specific place. It's going to have to be a Bleakman ritual that you're going to have to fulfill. So you're going to have to kind of accept the indigenous way, the indigenous Martian way to do this. And so the plan is to take Manfred to a specific place, a religious site of religious rituals. Will there be an old Bleakman? You know, it's kind of a very cliche scene of like an old wise man, Bleakman wise man, overseeing the old famous religious site. And he'll be able to perform the ritual that will then open this door to, to time travel. Jack is eventually forced to go along because he is basically Arnie's serf at this point since Arnie bought the contract. And then they begin to go on this basically a holy pilgrimage. And it's really fascinating that it's it's on one level like a real estate speculation deal. And it's, it's about two people trying to one up each other and, and buy the land before the other land gets it. But it's also very much a kind of a religious act where they're going to this ancient Martian site. And in fact, at one point, I think Jack or Arnie calls it a holy pilgrimage for him uh, that he's making alongside Manfred. So the, the line between this kind of spiritual religious experience and a mundane real estate deal is kind of muddled here. And I think Dick's having a little bit of fun with, with the fine line between kind of religion and capitalism or, or, you know, the, or maybe the way that business dealings could be given, maybe the seriousness of a religious religious act. I don't know, but I, I just found it interesting that, you know, it, the line between these two things is so muddled at this point in the story. And so we got this scene of, of these people going out into the Martian desert to this holy site in order to perform some kind of bizarre spiritual ritual in order to go back in time. Glob... But before they can really get away, Glob arrives with Anne and they, they plan to intervene and stop, like liberate Jack from Arnie's dominance and, and maybe liberate Manfred too. And was convinced by Glob to, to help with this. But any fighting breaks out. and But eventually, it doesn't really matter because eventually Arnie, Helio, and, and Jack get away and with Manfred and head out to to this site, this Martian site, into the deep into the Martian desert. And as the chapter ends, and as they're, they're heading there, Arnie hears Manfred say his catchphrase, gobble, gobble. Um, this is basically how he interacts with the world. He, he doesn't really speak English because he really doesn't exist outside of time. I guess this gobble, gobble is kind of like what an old man in a nursing home, lonely and without anyone to talk to, might kind of mumble to himself or something. Because uh, Manfred does live his life as as an ancient, decrepit old man, uh, in an, essentially in a nursing home. But Arnie at this point starts to get interested in actually this experience of Manfred. And, and for a moment, he steps outside of his fascination of just getting this deal done and just time traveling to buy this land. And he thinks, like, maybe I can learn something about this boy's experience and how he experiences the world. Okay, so then chapter 15, uh, we're getting towards the end of the story here. They go to this place. Uh, it's called, it's, a, it's described as a black lopsided projection of sandstone and volcanic glass called the Dirty Nobby. I don't know if that's the human name for it or the Bleakman name for it. 
but that's where they go. And this is this religious site, um, the sacred spot for the Bleakman. And when they get there, they do find this old Bleakman there and they get specific instructions from him about how to do this ritual to use Manfred to travel through time. And it's kind of funny. They actually have to buy him off with a carton of cigarettes because, you know, he doesn't he doesn't work for free. Right. So he's he's not it's not charity, but they're able to, to use a carton of cigarettes to get uh, these instructions. And there's here they are. There's actually there's five of them there. He has to enter the chamber. Light fire, light a fire, then turn a portable radio to to a specific channel, then take Nebutal. But the boy can't take it. So Arnie has to take the Nebutal and then throw enclosed packet into the fire. So they have a little packet of things to throw into the fire. So these are the instructions they get to to perform this ritual. And where man, he asked Manfred to send him back in time to the point before he meets Jack. So that's that's the time he wants to go. So like basically to the beginning of the novel is is where he wants to go because he meets Jack and basically in the first second chapter. So that that's where he wants to return to. Essentially, the events of chapter two, I think it is in the novel, are going to be relived by by Arnie Cott. Arnie's plan in the past is he actually states it quite directly. He says he's got to get the legal deed to the land and the FDR range all, you know, in a certain area, which will predate Leo Boland's uh, deed by several weeks. And that's it. That's the that's the main plan, uh, essentially, just to just to get the land. But as he goes back, it's not normal. It's not the normal past. It's not the past we experienced as readers earlier in the novel. One thing is it starts to have that kind of psychedelic taint that the previous time slipping experiences characters had, you know, so that characterized those those experiences. Like, for instance, we get this gobble gobble language everywhere in in this past as that Arnie begins to experience. Now he finds out it's kind of ironic because he, he tries to call in the order to buy the land because it's a kind of a simple act for a rich man just to buy up this land. He just calls his, his stooge to do it. But he can't because his encoder is broken and the person who repaired his encoder is Jack. And in fact, this is one of the this is how Jack got into Arnie Cott's employ. And at the same time, frustrated by this, Arnie starts to have these schizophrenic tendencies and episodes. And as his schizophrenic anxieties increase over and over, you know, get worse and worse, he starts to rush to try to finish his job. So he starts to worry and starts to panic that he can't get his job done in time because he seems to be going insane, you know, experiencing this past again. Um, and plus, it's kind of covered with this gobble gobble language. And he has these little frustrations that add to his problem. The most significant up being that he can't he can't actually call in call in the order. He ends up having to to do it in person. So he prepares the metal stake. It's this is how you kind of do the homesteading. Is you got to prepare the stake with your name on it, and you kind of stick it on the land and make lay the claim to it. So he's got that all prepared, but he has to go do it himself. And so he goes out to fly to the FDR mountains to do this stake. I don't even know if he has to really buy it. It's just like you make the claim, right? Um, and that's the end of chapter fifteen. And then we get to chapter sixteen, the final chapter of the book. And on his way to the FDMR mountains to make this claim, he gets the emergency call for the Bleakman to be saved. This is the same thing that happened in Chapter 2, although he was traveling, I think, for different reasons. But now it's at the same moment in time in which these Bleakmen called for help to be saved. And that's where the original meeting between Arnie and Jack took place. Um, 
And then we have this really interesting moment in which Arnie basically approaches Jack and says, I'm going to kill you. And Arnie, or Jack's, of course, baffled about why Arnie, the Arnie would want to kill him. They're just met to help these bleakmen, right? Because Jack was doing his own thing. This is the same reliving the experience that happened back in chapter two of the novel. And Arnie's eventually shot by the bleakmen with their old arrows. And there was actually a moment in chapter two when you notice like one of the few things that these bleak men had as possessions was these arrows. And these are like poison arrows that they use for, for their self-defense and or their hunting or whatever. Arnie, as he's kind of laying there dying, claims to know the future and he uses this to justify his act effort to kill Jack. He says, well, Jack says, why do you want to kill me? Do you even know who I am? And he says, sure, I do. You're going to fix my encoder, take Doreen away from me, and your father will steal all I got, all that matters to me, the FDR range and what's coming. And then Jack just says, you're, you're a crazy guy. Um, but anyways, the realization here that Arnie comes to is that the Bleakman knew in the past. The first time we experienced this scene, the Bleakman knew that Jack was going to be helpful, that Arnie was going to be a threat. And that kind of the whole scene comes full circle. And... Arnie essentially dies in the past, not fulfilling his goal of making a claim to the land. The, the shot kills him in the past. And then Arnie awakens back in the present. And at this point, he changes his mind and he realizes that it's not that important to get this, this FDR mountain range or whatever. For He just decides to commit his life to helping Manfred. He thinks if nothing else happens, I'm going to make sure that Manfred doesn't live out his life in this horrible old folks home you know a couple hundred years from now he actually did make a promise to manfred earlier in the novel where he said like if you help me with this time travel thing i'll, I'll get you off of mars he says um but as soon as he gets back after this experience with the bleak men and this basically this death he experienced in the past he loses any desire to be involved in this at all he says or this is internal monologue. He lost the desire to get Jack Boland. He had lost his desire to, to buy, land, buy into the land development of these mountains. And he can have Doreen Anderton for all I care, Arnie said to himself as he started towards the trail up, that they, up, the, up which they had previously come. But I'll keep my word to Manfred. I'll mail him to Earth first chance I get, and maybe there'll be a chance to cure him. Maybe they'll have better psychiatrists back home by now. Anyways, he won't end up in that AMWEP. That's... Ollie mentioned Verder Barood and All Men Are Brothers. That's going to be the name of this these housing developments that the UN is planning to to build. Anyway, so he's kind of had this breakthrough. He's changed his point of view. His heart grew three sizes too large in his final moments. It's his final moments because he's not dying because of the bleakman shot him. He's di- he's going to die because Otto Zitte shows up and shoots him. Uh, Otto Zitte, who previously had committed himself to to getting revenge on Arnie for destroying his property. And and as he's laying there dying from a gunshot wound from, from Otto Zitte, he starts to feel himself or experience himself and thinks he's in Manfred's, in Manfred's mind. Um, on the way back, they, they do try to save him. They get him into like their, their ship thing. They're like flying car. Go back to Lewistown to, to try to save his life, but he dies on the way. And Manfred eventually decides to stay behind with the Bleakmen. And again, that was foreshadowed early in the story when Jack Bolin believed that he would have a better life if he stayed with, with the Bleakmen just because they had a different sense of time or a different concept of time. And that's actually a good thing for him because he's not going to be tied to 
to these human communities. He's not going to be ground through human institutions for the rest of his life as an autistic. He's going to have a chance for a life that actually can be lived. Manfred decides to stay with the Bleakman. Uh, Jack, when he returns with with Arndy's body, he talks to Doreen, and he decides to basically end his affair with her. I think Doreen is the one who first says, you know, maybe our future isn't that bright. We're not going to have contact anymore with Arnie dead. And maybe we'll just drift away because we're really not that compatible. And she says, do you love me? And he says, I do love you. But they they basically come to a realization that he's got to go home to his to his wife and family. And that's going to be better for him in, his, in, the, in the long run. And so they break up amicably and and. Jack rightfully then returns to his home. And the final scenes of the novel are, are in the Bullen home between Sylvia and, and Jack. So he returns home and not much happens. It's just they, they talk about the changes that went on in their life and, and what death of Arnie is going to mean. They talk about their relationship and they both reinvest in their marriage. She asks, because of course they both had affairs over the course of the novel. And he asks, you know, or she asked, do you think our marriage is finished? And he says, it isn't. Is there any reason to think it is? Why do you imagine I came home? If we had no marriage, then I, would I have shown up here to, today after? He was silent then. I like my iced tea, he murmured. After what, she asked. He said, after Arnie's death. Well, where else would you go? A person can always find two places to choose from, home and the rest of the world with other people in it. End quote. So that's the choice uh, our character is given. In the end, so this this return to the home, I think, is something we see we'll see again in Dick's fiction when characters are faced with an affair, faced with the option of of turning the back on a longstanding relationship or or reinvesting in it, and and Jack, being a fundamentally a good and moral person, decides to to stay in the home, to stay with his wife. And there might be even a meta theme here about the frontier if we return to this concept of the frontier. You know, if we if we think of our relationships like this, like we can project out like the frontier is kind of always moving out, looking for bigger and better things. Right. I guess we can imagine remaking our relations. I think Dick wants us to at times reimagine and revitalize and remake our relationships. But the frontier model would be like, well, you go on to the next thing. Right. Like like in the game players of Titan, you just kind of find a new spouse every every few weeks. Right. You just bounce off. But the end result of that, as we see from Manfred's view of the future, is just decay and old age and loneliness. And Jack finds a much stronger foundation for happiness in his family with his with his wife. And so it's not so much about trying to find the next best thing, you know, Doreen, you know, the hotter girl. It's for fine. It's about really finding these sustainable relationships and societies in 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 the spaces around us. Now, the final scene of the novel is Manfred arriving, and he arrives as an incredibly old man. And we get this wonderful description of, of Manfred. He's with a group of bleak men, and he's super old. So it's just like moments have passed, literally like a day has passed since Manfred was stayed behind with the bleak men. But essentially, this is a time-traveling Manfred from far into the future. Um, now, this is the same age of the man we saw in Manfred's visions of himself in the future as this old, rotten, decaying man in an old folks home. And the man we see here is actually a cyborg. It's, it's kind of cool. Uh, okay, the living room is filled with bleak men. 
And in their midst, she saw part of a living creature, an old man only from the chest on up. The rest had become a tangle of pumps and hoses and dials, machinery that clicked away unceasingly, and hoses and dials, machinery that clicked away unceasingly active. It kept the old man alive, she realized, that in an instant. The old missing portion of him has been replaced by it. Oh, God, she thought. Who or what was it sitting there with a smile on its withered face? Now it spoke to them. And then it was able to speak, actually, through this machinery. So somehow, either... Manfred or just the technological advances or the Bleakman developed this technology which allowed Manfred to finally speak to the outside world to actually communicate uh, the dream of, you know, the simple dream of Norbert Steiner early in the novel to just be able to talk to his son has, has been realized at this point in the story. And basically Manfred, an old man Manfred, is just asking, is just coming to thank Jack, and then to say goodbye to his own family because he never got to say goodbye to his sisters, his four sisters or his mother. And that is how the novel ends. The novel ends uh, with family for, for characters who spend so much time from their families. Right? Basically, none of these characters spend very much time with their families. It, it ends with a, with a bunch of characters reinvesting in, into family. Right? At, least, at least Jack and Sylvia and, and Manfred. So that's the story. That's Martian Time Slip. Um, I think it's really one of his uh, one of his greatest novels. It's it's it's. I don't really like the Philip K. Dick like movie adaptations or the television adaptations that much, but this is the one I could really get behind. If I heard that they were adapting Martian Time Slip and didn't want to make it just an action adventure movie, which I guess is always the danger with science, movie science fiction these days. If they actually wanted to make a serious portrayal of this novel, I think that could be really wonderfully done um, but you know it's probably just something we'll have to dream for and hope for in the future but anyways wonderful a wonderful novel um, what are its themes well there are so many it, it's I guess it's hard to summarize one certainly I think the overarching theme of this novel is the frontier um, and I think it mo marks a moment in Dick's career in which he turns his back on the frontier as a source of optimism there may have been hints of that earlier in his, some of his stories, but here he really engages in a debate over what the frontier means. We have characters saying the frontier is a, a place of rebirth, a place where we can remake ourselves. There can be a bright future for the frontier. We're told this again and again by characters in the story. Leo, Otto Zitte seems to think that way. Uh, even Jack Boland and Yee sees, sees it that way, Jack's employer early on. Uh, uh, Arnie certainly thinks, Arnie Cott certainly thinks the, the frontier is something to be optimistic about. He's, he invests a lot of his concerns in selling the frontier to, to Terrans. Yet the reality of the frontier is what we see through Manfred's vision of the future, that it will just become a copy of Earth. It will become degraded. It will decay. It will become just like any other place humanity goes. Humanity can't escape its fundamental nature and faults and tendencies in the frontier, right? And that's, that's why we see characters falling into the same kind of traps. You know, Jack Boland, schizophrenic on Earth, falls back into schizophrenic tendencies when he's on, on Mars. The UN tries to sell Mars as free of mental illness, but there's a lot of it. Um, we, we learn early in the story. Adultery, you know, people maybe go as families to, to get a new start, a fresh start on their family, yet adultery is pretty common on, on Mars. As, as we learn. So again and again, we're, we're told that the frontier is not a way out here. So in that sense, I think this is a really a turning point in Dick's vision of what the frontier is. 
Um, another important theme, I think, is generally hierarchy and workplace relationships. Jack Boland is someone whose future is not really in his control. He's bought and sold by his employer. His contract is basically a commodity like any others. Um, the you know, the question of, of who's going to be in charge of Mars is something that's debated. Is it going to be the UN or is it going to be Arnie Kant? Is it going to be the Water Workers Union or is it going to be like people like Leo trying to make money from it? In some ways, although I don't think it's overtly an anti-authoritarian novel, but it's it's got anti-authoritarian themes and it really certainly questions authority, whether it's in the psychiatrist-patient relationship, whether it's in the workplace or whether it's in education. You know, we... We have this concern leveled against authority. Another major theme here would be adultery. Um, again and again, we're we're shown by Dick here that adultery is a dead end. Uh, we are given, like with the frontier, though, we're given arguments that adultery is something that can be a renewal, right? That's what June Hennessy seems to think when she talks to Sylvia about it. It's sort of how Jack justifies his affair with Doreen and Arnie see, you know, basically allows Doreen to have an affair because he sees sex as basically a, a tool that a political tool that can be used or an economic tool to help control Jack. Um, but at the end of the day, these, these short term, these affairs all fail and people are forced to kind of go back to reinvest in their, in their family. So this could be read, I think as an anti or a pro monogamy book almost, or if at least a pro family book and, you know, holding out hope that if people basically invest their time and energies and efforts into into their relationships, that they can survive um, the trauma, the traumas of of change, of aging, of boredom, of of drug abuse, of mental illness, whatever it may be. You know, the solution has to be kind of within our interpersonal relationships, not in some kind of external um person and it's, it's kind of i think it parallels the frontier theme very very nicely in many ways i think we got to look at martian time slip as a, a metaphor for american history certainly in the fact that we have an indigenous population who gets pushed to reservations some are quote-unquote tamed uh, you know in the same way that in the united states after the dawes act many native americans were sent to boarding schools to be trained to be domestic servants in fact it's not surprising that the quote-unquote tame bleak men we meet here are domestic servants. Um, but we also have separate religious traditions embraced by the indigenous people. We have kind of uh, religious traditions among the native people that humans want to use and think they can use, right? I, I, I'm, I'm pondering here the way like the Boy Scouts of America maybe use Indian religious rituals for their own kind of play acting as, as Indians. Here, essentially, an Indian religion gets commodified by Arnicott, right? It's this ritual that allows them to travel through time becomes just a means for Arnicott to, to get a one up on a business deal. So that's, that's certainly, um, I think in many ways you got the parallel of the frontier and and I think Mars is essentially California, right? You have this optimistic view of the frontier, it fails and it becomes just suburbia and eventually just a, an old folks home that no one wants to be in it and live in and everyone fillies who can. I don't know if that's that's I guess that's not the fate of California. I guess California is still a place a lot of people go, but 
you know, we'll see in the long term if those California dreams uh, pan out. Dix probably certainly thought that in his lifetime that California was quickly becoming a degraded, uh, decrepit frontier, if it ever did have that kind of optimism of the past. Another theme, of course, is mental illness. Uh, it kind of runs throughout the whole thing. Um, now, we have autism. We have Jack Bull and schizophrenia. We have other characters who are, have chemical dependencies and other types of mental illness. We have Norbert Steiner, who suffered from depression. So again and again, we have characters with mental illness. And, and we have the psychiatrist as a major character, which is a very much a Philip K. Dick motif. He very much likes the psychiatrist as a character. And in the next novel we'll be looking at, The Simulacra, uh, it's all about mental illness again. Uh, he couldn't seem to get away from this. In fact, three of his four novels published in 1964 have mental illness really at the heart of the story. Uh, Simulacra, Martian Time Slip, and The Clans of the Elfane Moon are all about mental illness. So it's really, I suppose you should go back and look at what, what's going on in Dick's life in 63, 64 that led him to be so obsessed with mental illness. Even, I guess, Game Players of Titan if you throw that into the mix, is a novel about, about mental illness, too. We have characters there who are all suffering psychological problems. I don't know. There seems to be so much more I didn't talk about. Um, there's a lot of things that Dick, I guess, dropped, like the, the new Israeli settlements, the kibbutzes, and the, the terraforming of the, their success at terraforming Mars, the diversity of the Martian colonists. Um, the fact that Mars, Mars has become kind of a, a, a melting pot of different cultures. That maybe reinforces this idea that maybe we can look at this novel as a metaphor for, for American history, right? Um, the conflict between the frontier vision and just kind of petty capitalism, the, the desire to make a buck. Certainly we see that with land speculation in real American history, but also certainly in this, in this novel, leaving notes. So there's another kind of overlap, I think, with, uh, with American history. Uh, the family is a major theme here. Oh, education. That's the other one I was missing. Education is dealt with really well here, I think. And mostly because it, it plays with the idea that education is a profession that can be automated and is under risk of automation. We don't often think of that. We, we think of automation a lot these days, what it's going to mean for factory jobs or even professional jobs. But, you know, the teacher is seen as kind of safe. But I'm not so sure. I think Dix made a pretty compelling case in this novel that maybe the robot teacher can do a better job than, than the human teacher, all right? That the robot teacher can know all the students and, and craft many lessons and draw on the skills of many different teachers and always have the knowledge in, in his head. You know, a lot of things that human teachers perhaps struggle with. So maybe there's hope for the automation of the teachers' professions. We can liberate all those teachers from their, their boring jobs and let them go off and do other things with their lives. I don't know. So I guess that's it. I guess I'll stop talking about Martian Time Slip now. But overall, great novel. Do read it. It's one of my favorite Philip Dick novels. So um, with that, I will leave. Uh, if there's anything I didn't talk about in this novel that you think is important, please leave your comments below, or you can send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. Next up... In this series, we'll be looking at Philip Dick's other 1964 novels. We'll be beginning with The Simulacrum. So um, I look forward to talking with you about that novel. Um, if you are do want to read ahead, just just probably read it three chapters at a time. I will I'll probably be recording episodes every three chapters or so. So um, 
it's another fun one. It's not nearly as great in my view as Martian Time Slip, but it has a lot of fun things to talk about. So thanks as always for listening, and I will see you next time with my first look at the simulacrum. You must search till you find the bluebird. You will find peace and contentment forever if you're.